Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, hey, where you been? Buckeye talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to Buckeye Talk. It is another Buckeye Football Futures episode. I'm Nathan Baird, along with Stephen Means from Cleveland.com. We are coming off of a big commitment for Ohio State football. Luke Montgomery from Findlay committed on Thursday afternoon. Stephen was there. He was our boots on the ground for the big announcement. So today on BFF, we're going to talk a lot about Montgomery. We're going to talk about what happens next. And then we're going to get into a bunch of questions from our lovely and talented texters who sent us a number of topics that we can get into about Ohio State recruiting. But let's start with Montgomery. Stephen, was this, I'm trying to remember, is this the, when was the last time you were at one of these announcements in state, just because the pandemic interrupted that sort of thing for a while, right? Yeah, probably like 2019 was probably the last really? time I was in person at one of these. And I forgot how weird they are when they're doing it through like a television network because you're just kind of sitting there quietly because you can't hear the questions that they're asking on CBS because he's got um, headphones in. And so there comes a point where the family sits down and he announces, hey, guys, I got to do this thing first before I tell everybody where I'm going to school. And so we're just kind of sitting here watching him talk to the screen and having no idea what the conversation is. And so it is it's it's cool. But being there in person kind of kills the vibe a little bit. To all of the uh, football superstars who listen to us, the high school uh, up and coming prospects. If you want to get maximum attention for your commitment, I think February 17th is a good date. Like was, was it a who's who of Ohio state media that were in that gym yesterday? Yeah. I mean, I think every beat um, was represented in some capacity. So yeah, it was, (laughs) I think if, the fact that he's from Ohio and everybody's kind of known Ohio State was a favorite for two years already wasn't going to give away where he was going. It was the fact that every single member of the media in there was from an Ohio State beat, basically. Now, obviously, when JT Tuimaloao commits, or not everybody's going to send their people to Oregon for mm-hmm. that. But this is, you know, or, or Washington, I'm sorry. But this is backyard. This is just a couple hours away in Findlay. Was, was there a decided pro-Ohio State vibe in that gym? regardless of the media. Oh yeah, definitely. There's like students who all had like Ohio state that he's on and just, it was, yeah, it was and then like, obviously cause he had the t-shirt on, but it was like zipped up so you couldn't really see it, but it wasn't zipped up enough. So you could kind of see the Ohio state logo on it. Yeah. It was, we all knew why we were there and we were kind of joking about it because I obviously I'd pre-written most of that stuff um, for the announcement and like uh, um, somebody from another beat, I was like, finishing up something on it. And he was like, now, Stephen, you can't just assume things like that. You should probably have a Notre Dame one. So it's like, no, I shouldn't. I should just have no house. Yeah. But it was we all knew what, what what the deal was. I think most people have known for a while. Yeah, you know, sometimes you do have to write those others. And we've all flushed uh, just hundreds of words. I remember when I covered basketball and you had or now when I cover Ohio State football and you have guys who are deciding between NBA draft or not, NFL draft or not. and You've got to write both versions of that and kind of the version of what it means and if they stay or go. And uh, so, yeah, a lot of our job is just 
writing stuff that just gets flushed. And some people say um, maybe that's warranted, even the stuff that we write that they get to read. Uh, give us again a quick scouting report on Montgomery. Just yeah, what Luke, he is, who he is, and 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 what kind of player he projects to be. Yeah, Luke Montgomery, the number 49 player, the number four offensive tackle. He is the first top 100 recruit in Ohio State's 2023 recruiting class, which now has five people, 6'5", 270. They see him as a swing tackle, so he can play either side. I don't know if he is a pure tackle yet, though he's not as long as you would like tackles to be, but he has really good feet that kind of make up for a lot of that stuff. Um, what he lacks physically, his I think his athleticism makes up for that. Can you know put him at that position? But if he's not, if he doesn't end up as a tackle, he can pretty much play anywhere on the offensive line, whether it's guard or center. He did that this past year for Finley um, High School in um, um, Northwest Ohio, where basically wherever the pass rush was coming from on a consistent basis, they would just throw him there just for the sake of having their best offensive lineman protecting their freshman quarterback. But yeah, from a, a talent standpoint, he has all the tools, even if he's la- outside of just, you know, he's got short arms, everything else he pretty much has to be an elite offensive lineman. But on top of that, I think the more important piece for right now until he gets on campus is this is one of those types of guys who just has relationships with everybody around the country. And when you get a commit like this, it's especially when it's a guy who lives in your state, it kind of opens the floodgates a little bit of what might be possible, what might be able to come down the line with some of these national guys, because everybody loves Luke Montgomery. We're going to definitely talk more about that, the the repercussions from for the whole class. But, but speaking more just specifically about Montgomery for now, okay, so he's a swing tackle. Mm-hmm. I think versatility is good, but Ohio State has to get good tackles in this class. So what concept do you have right now of how what plan Ohio State has or what plan Montgomery has to try to make him a tackle very early in his career a guy who you say that's a guy who can start at tackle on a Big Ten offensive line like is there is there this does he have a concept of the physical development that has to happen if if it's a skill development thing like what makes him a tackle early on because as great as it is that he might you know be a tweener who turns into an all-conference guard nobody's gonna like sneeze at that doesn't take care of the tackle problem they have yeah it starts now actually um his basketball career is over because he had a second ankle injury and at this point it's just not worth you know getting back out there and i say it's over because he's a junior who was early enrolling next year and early enrolling happens in the little high school basketball season so that part of it is over which sucks for him but it is what it is um i think he'll be okay uh and so it starts now it starts with putting on the weight you know, he's up to, I think he's at 270, and the goal is to get to 282 by the time he steps on campus. So that way, you know, Mick and the rest of the strength and conditioning staff can put the, the rest of that weight on that gets him a, a plus 300 pounds the way they like their offensive linemen to be. But the goal is 282 pounds looking the right way once he arrives on campus. So he's got about eight months to do that. So it starts there. They're going to start him at tackle. He's had basically talked to Justin Fry every single day, day since Justin Fry took the job, even before he was in Columbus. One of the first things he did was reach out to Luke Montgomery, and then Montgomery came down for a visit like two or three weeks ago, and they sat out and watched two hours of film together. So they've got a really good relationship at this point. They're going to start him at tackle flat out. That's not, they're not even going to start thinking about guard his freshman year, maybe not even to his junior year. The goal is to make this guy into a tackle. Um, and that starts them right now, basically, since he's not, you know, doing anything else with his life, he's not taking visits anywhere. He's not really doing anything. And so that that's the extent of what, that what he, I mean by when I say he is a swing tackle and the fact that yes, he could move inside. They would rather him not move inside though. They want him to be a tackle and they want that preparation to start now, especially physically. 282 so gaining 12 pounds basically in eight months that doesn't sound like that much and i'm but i am always fascinated from just like a scientific standpoint of the way that they look at that the the way the training staff looks at that like they want you to gain weight but i think if you were to add like 40 pounds right now it wouldn't be added in the right way they get you to a certain plateau and then they pump you up the way that they want you to get pumped up uh, once you get to Ohio state through the, through the training program and their nutrition program and all that stuff. I think it's, it's, it's interesting to look at that, like the plateau they want him to get to, which is still going to be inadequate, but as an early enrollee, it it still probably has him on a a good trajectory. Yeah. Because I, I mean, you can give him every diet plan in the world. I understand that he comes from a family of, of athletes, but you got to see what it looks like. I think that's part. Cause you got, we have to remember here that he was like two fifty. 
when he came for a camp last su- summer with the expectation that he was going to be an offensive lineman. That's because he had never really fully dedicated himself. So you, I, I, it is going to be interesting to monitor that that weight and what what he, he can actually play at. Obviously, they would like their offensive lineman to be at three hundred pounds, but you got to make sure that once he gets here at that two eighty two, whatever two eighty mid two eighty range, that okay, he can still put on this amount of weight. He can still put on that amount of weight. You don't want him to just be putting on three hundred, be three hundred pounds for the sake of being three hundred pounds, because there's a very big difference between three. 300 pounds as a human being and being 300 pounds as an athlete. Is he the way you describe him with his weight? And like, so is he just like, is he Nicholas Petit Frere right now? Just with a shorter reach. That's a good, that's a really good comparison for him. Yeah. Where I think the more, I, I don't think the, the ability to develop into a good tackle isn't going to be the problem. The ability might just be like, all right, is he physically going to be able to get there? And I won't be shocked if, you know, we're entering year two where we're like, all right, maybe this guy's ready to get on the field. And we're all in spring football asking him a bunch of questions about how difficult it's been for him to put on weight, put on healthy and good weight that can get him onto the field. I think that's a really good comparison there. But once he does it, we saw when it took Nicholas Petit for three years to do it. But once he did it, I mean, he he clicked. He basically played at an All-American level for two years on two different as a swing tackle, at right tackle, and then at left tackle. I think that's a really good comparison here, where it's less about the talent and the ability, and more about can he physically be able to you know get to that point where he could actually do it. But he is not expecting this to be a a three-year venture to get him on the field the way it was with Nicholas Petit Frere. I saw that he said he wants to play pretty much right away. Right now, that's yeah. to be able I pay to play that no a, attention. When you're not a skill position guy, to be honest yes. with you, because it's like there's a physical even with like defensive linemen, we say it, but when no one's like, oh, they're going to be the superstar of the defensive line room. It's hard because there is a physical element that he has to go through that. You know, let's just say if Carnell Tate comes here, he didn't have to go through as much of a physical element. It's, can you catch the ball? Can you run routes? So I, I, I love it. And you love that they say that because it means they're competitive, but. No, if if he's your starting tackle and tw- we as we've talked about in 2023, like if a freshman is your starting tackle in 2023, that's even more emphasizing how much things have gone wrong in recruiting. Right, and I, I, I was going to say like he'll be a a true freshman in yeah, like you said, 2023. Man, that just seems like it, it, I I guess if you're a fan, you like to hear that sort of exuberance. Just seems like a a a tough ask to get on the field that quick, but you know, uh, other guys have done it. So I guess he'll take a shot. And the one thing that makes it more realistic in his, his case is that a doesn't really have a lot of answers to tackle right now. It's, it's, you know, sometimes um, what was it? Michael Jordan was kind of the last guy that started as yeah. a freshman. And it wasn't because Michael Jordan. Now he's obviously a very, very good player. been in the NFL now for a long time, but it wasn't because he showed up as like some kind of savant. It was because he showed up and somebody had to win that job. So maybe he'll be, maybe Montgomery could be in a similar situation, but I agree with you that that's not necessarily the best case for Ohio state. No, because even with Paris Johnson, as much as we love talking about it, I don't think anybody was upset that Paris Johnson wasn't starting at right tackle in 2020. Let's not have that happen. The shot. So when he commits from the Ohio state perspective, was it so kind of telegraphed that there could be genuine shouts of joy or, is there a size of relief here that you didn't let a in-state guy of this caliber get away at the position of greatest need for this class? I don't think it's as we all knew it was coming, but it's still kind of like, you're still coming. Right. You know? And like, he would come on campus and they would like, you know, tease him about I, like, the, I think he was on campus the day that uh Sonny Styles committed. I think that was a Purdue game. And it was like, up, oh, you're on deck, you're on deck, you're on deck. And they, they can't, it, it's messing with him. Obviously they're not pressuring him to do it, but it is one of those things where it's like some, you think somebody's coming, you're pretty sure they're coming, but until you actually get it in writing, it's just kind of like, Hey, is this, you still coming? Right. Because there was a point when, like I said, I, I wrote in a text that two years ago when he got offered, I think everybody on the planet would have assumed that Luke Montgomery would have been first and not fifth. So as you know, the commits start to pile up a little bit, you're going, and you know, Michigan makes his full court press where they send Jim Harbaugh and basically the entire coaching staff to a basketball game. And, you know, they really did like Clemson a little bit. And and if they weren't going to stay in the big 10 footprint, Clemson was a a real possibility for them. And up until he 
chose that like he was going to focus on offensive line and not do defensive line anymore. Marcus Freeman, that relationship was real with Notre Dame. And so it, Penn State's a, a quality program. And so it is it, while you're sure you're still like, OK, we're going to keep an eye on that. But now that it's done, I don't think it's a sigh of relief. It's like, OK, now we can get to work and we don't have to worry about you going to all these different schools anymore. Yeah, so his other finalists, uh, the hats on the table were uh, Clemson, Michigan, Notre Dame, and Alabama. Is that correct? Yes, that is correct. And then, like, Oklahoma was also in, like, the top six, but they didn't get a hat. Okay. And do you have a, a concept of, like, who the, the real runner-up was there? Probably Michigan. I think that full court – I would have said Clemson before that full court press, um, but that really impressed a lot of people. Um, because it, like they, they, the full court press wasn't just for Luke. It was also for Ryan. And I think that's interesting when you bring that many people and they can still focus on the guy they're supposed to be here for. Um, but then also, I, I think there is a part of this that is Michigan built up a lot of momentum off of that. And then Jim Harbaugh spent a month, you know, flirting with the NFL, even if the NFL wasn't flirting back. And I think th- th- there is a level of, okay, you, 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 we talked we did we talked about it on a pod how like Michigan had spent this year building up, up momentum and then the Jim Harbaugh situation might have killed a lot of that that can also maybe be applied to this Luke Montgomery situation I think the NFL flirted back they just weren't like you know taking him to meet their parents or whatever you know what I'm saying like, they went that's on some fair. dates they had a they had a formal that's you fair. know but uh kept, kept, kept it casual <laughs> yeah you mentioned before Montgomery coming from a family of athletes one of those athletes is his younger brother, Ryan, a big time quarterback commitment. So we're obviously a recruit prospect. So we should we're already getting a lot of questions about what does this mean as it pertains to Ryan Montgomery? What do you think this commitment means as it pertains to Ryan Montgomery? It doesn't mean anything, honestly. And it's only because of the position he plays. He is a quarterback. And so, like I was asking him yesterday, I was just like how much of this can you actually apply to your recruitment? He's like, I can, I mean, the basics of it, you know, how recruiting works, you know, what types of questions to ask, you know, that stuff, but he's going to go through a whole different process. And so, yes, it would be cool to be the starting quarterback at Ohio state in like, Luke Montgomery's is starting left tackle. That would be very cool for him and for both of them. Yes, but he can't approach it like that. He can't do the dream school situation. Um, he's got to look really, he has more in common with Drew Aller, Penn State's, you know, five-star quarterback recruit than he does with his brother at this point. And so, obviously, you know, there's probably going to be some type of crystal balls that get thrown out there for Ohio State for Ryan Montgomery. I'm not going to read into anything like that right now. I think Ryan Montgomery's process is going to be different. I think his 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 commitment might be sped up a little bit because he is a quarterback and everybody want, would love to have their quarterback committed, you know, at least 18 months before signing Dan B, part of building the class. So, that will be interesting to watch. But, I'm not, this is not as cut and clear cut and dry as it was with Luke, where it's like, all right, you got the offer when you commit. Montgomery, but Ryan Montgomery, 6'3", 180 in the 2025 class. There are not composite rankings out for that, but um, when they come, I think he'll be a, a pretty highly ranked quarterback. Mm-hmm. Like you say, probably getting some national attention. We are going to take a break there, but when we come back, we're going to talk about, I mean, that kind of covers who Luke Montgomery is. Now we're going to cover what his commitment means and kind of the momentum that could be created off of him for the rest of this 2023 class. You're listening to Buckeye Talk. Back on Buckeye Talk, like I said, we reached out to our subscribers uh, at 614-350-350. 3315 asked them to send us their questions and we got some good ones. I'm going to get into a whole like rapid fire segment here at the end, but uh, here are some that pertain to the things that we're talking about. And you kind of already alluded to this, Stephen, but uh, from the 864, I'm just curious how much this could help us in getting other recruits, AJ Harris, Ennis, uh, that's Brandon Ennis, etc. Does this help us make up ground with Harris that was lost when Kerry Combs left? So, just that larger question, how important is Luke Montgomery besides needing offensive line talent for this class, besides potentially needing tackles for this class, what does he mean sort of intangibly to this class in terms of his communication and whether he can help bring in some other guys? He knows all of those guys. I mean, I basically asked him, so you got a list already? AJ Harris, Brennan and his Carnell Tate, Peyton Kirkland. And it's just ran off a whole lot of other names as well. That's a lot of top 100 recruits, a lot of five-star recruits, a lot of guys that are high on the Ohio State's board that in a perfect world, they get all of those guys. 
Um, yeah, th- th- there is an I'll say this, though. There's not a Jack Sawyer, CJ Hicks level, quote unquote, Captain Buckeye in this class. Luke Montgomery is the closest thing to it. I think the thing that separates him is he's not, you know, he's not the five star top 10 player in the country that, you know, we're going to be saying, hey, could he uh, make an impact, be a starter in year one because of what the room looks like also because of what his talent is. But also, you know, he wasn't the first member of the class. CJ Hicks wasn't technically either, but I mean, he came like a week and a half after Jair Brown did. So like the same concept there. It is going to be more of a collective group effort between him and Joshua Padilla, Padilla, I'm sorry, Padilla, Padilla, uh, Ty Lockwood, but it's, it's, he has a cachet that those two don't have because he's a top 50 recruit who also has just got a really outgoing personality. And it's a little easier to hear that message from a top 50 recruit than it is from someone who's 113 tight end as a tight end or 129 offensive lineman. It's, it's just easier to hear that message. Plus he already knows AJ Harris. Plus he already knows Richard Young and Brandon Ennis and Carnell Tate and all the way down the list. And so it's just easier to hear that message when you're hearing it from somebody who's as elite of a talent as you are. Plus he's just got the personality for it. So while there's no clear cut, this is captain Buckeye, everybody else fall in line. Luke Montgomery is probably the closest thing to that and will probably be just like leading the charge a lot of times. So that's why it was so important to get this guy locked in because now he's not, he told me yesterday, he's not doing any more visits. His recruitment is closed. He's not going to be at the spring game because his family's going on vacation, like normal human beings tend to do, but you'll see plenty of him on campus this summer at these day camps. And that when other kids are on campus for official visits, you should expect to see him at every football game next year. That's now what he's going to be doing because he's not focused on thinking about other schools. So that's why it was so important to get him in this class because now, yes, it does open the door for all these other elite recruits. What does it mean in terms of other offensive linemen? Does, does getting a, prospect of his caliber make it tougher to bring in other offensive linemen or can he kind of bridge that too and still help entice some guys because it's you're you're trying to bring guys in to compete against you and you're higher ranked than some of them potentially like how does that how does that dynamic play out I think I don't know if it hurts or helps I think it's just like what it is the only I think all their offensive line targets outside of Caden Proctor are still on the table. Obviously, you know, with, with just to dive into that real quick, Justin Fry took a shot. He tried to reestablish a relationship and then Caden Proctor put out a top seven that didn't have Ohio state in it. Now, are they going to keep plugging away there? Sure. We'll see, but I just don't see that one happening. I think that kid's going to end up doing what Xavier Wampa did, who was his high school teammate at Southeast Polk and just staying home and going to Iowa, but everybody else, uh, Samson Akunla, uh, Chase Basantis, Peyton Kirkland, all those guys are still on the table. I don't think anybody is looking at, you know, they're going to have, this is going to be a large offensive line class. This is like five, six guys, bare minimum. This is going to be a large one. And I think everybody in the, in the, in every recruit knows that. And so getting Luke Montgomery is just a piece of that, but that's really just a second of five or six guys. And the second of the two of the three Ohio guys, they want the other one being Austin Sierrafield. Out of, out of Lakota East High School in Middletown, Ohio, who has he's in the 300s, but he's got an offer from Ohio State and Bama. So Ohio State and Bama, you have those two offers. Let's see if he rises up. I don't think he's going to be a top 100 recruit, but he could easily be a top 200 recruit by signing day. So once they get Austin Sierraveld into the fold here, whenever that is, then you can start to focus on some of those national guys I, let, I, I named earlier. But no, getting Luke, it doesn't enhance it because, like, it's – I mean, it's offensive line. You want multiple guys, but it doesn't hurt it either because no one's looking at Luke Montgomery and thinking, oh, shoot, there's a top 50 recruit there. I'm probably never never going to play because I'm, I'm not better than him. So how big of a deal was the Montgomery commitment for Justin Fry? Because obviously a lot of the groundwork had been laid before Fry came on. At what point did Fry and he have contact? And what, was it? did it feel like Fry was in a like a – a lose-lose situation like that. Like, that's probably stating it. That'd be too dramatic because if a guy commits, that's not a loss of any kind, but that, you know, he, like I said, the groundwork had already been laid. A lot of the recruiting had already been done on him. So if he gets away, it looks a lot worse for Fry than it does. Then it looks good. If he comes, does that make sense? Yeah. I think the one question really the only question that Justin Fry could have answered here is, can you close? 
because you're right. All the groundwork had been laid. It's the fourth quarter. It's 90 seconds left on the clock. And, you know, can you go close out the game or are you going to fumble it like Ohio State basketball did against Rutgers two weeks ago? Well, so, and also it's 90 seconds left, but not like they're only up by three, probably. Like it feels like the league right. is pretty comfortable. <laughs> yeah, like they're they're a double digit lead. Just don't trick it away because you're turning the ball over and fouling. Um, so he he built it quickly. He quickly built that relationship and made Luke feel comfortable. And you know, Luke sees him as family now. Like when I say he made him feel comfortable, I mean like he introduced him to his children. He's got he's got four kids, and like Luke knows them all. He knows his wife. He knows his entire family. He went full court press in his own way to make he, he was still living in Los Angeles at the time that I think he and uh, Kevin Wilson went up to Finley to watch him play basketball. So it was, he's trying to move and get all that stuff situated, but also trying to make sure they close the deal on this. So I wouldn't call it a lose, lose. I, it, we it answered the, can you close question? Now everything else is, can you recruit question? Because you knew this guy was coming. And it, basically from the way Luke was talking, this all came down to like, how come how quickly can he feel comfortable with Justin Fry? Because his commitment wasn't supposed to come until April or May. They were going to hold off until then just to make sure some things and go on a couple more visits. But Justin Fry did enough to make them go, nope, we're scrapping that. We're committing on February 17th. So you think that the relationship, the how comfortable you felt with Justin Fry is what spread up that timeline? 100%. That's, I think, an important thing to know. Here's another question from the texters. Kind of leading into, again, talking about the, the, the rest of this class. Uh, this is from the 312. It seems like Alabama has become OLU, placing all their starters in the first two rounds of the NFL draft. Joe Burrow's pummeling suggests being wide receiver U is useful, but you need to break into the OLU conversation. How do we get there? I thought that was a really smart question because we talk so much about how Brian Hartline's recruiting of the receiver room helps Ryan day recruit the off the quarterback room and, and vice versa. Corey Dennis too helps the quarterback recruiting and vice versa. Doesn't offensive line play into this at some point though. And doesn't Ohio state, are they in need of sort of a correction here? Because right now you've got, they just fired their offensive line coach uh, because they thought the performance was a little bit underwhelming, especially in terms of recruiting, bringing in, top talent to that room and uh as doug and i are going to discuss on monday's pod unless something comes up we've already recorded it we did sort of a um what if and a, a, would a team of ohio state players win the super bowl or reach the super bowl uh, ohio state nfl players and offensive line is eh, it's not super and that you just had some situations with the bengals over the last couple of years where ohio state alums were right in the middle of is Joe Burrow going to get killed? So does Ohio State, does does the, does the offensive line recruiting have to get better? Would the, tan, would the effects on recruiting quarterback be tangible if the offensive line recruiting was better? I guess is the best way to ask that. Or, or could the opposite happen? Could the opposite happen? If, if offensive line continues to struggle, is that something that's going to hurt the ability for Ohio State to keep bringing in these kinds of quarterbacks? No. I want to lean, though. I think it might impact more running back recruiting because I think running back recruiting and offensive line recruiting are tied the way that a quarterback and wide receiver recruiting are tied because they, I mean, how do you know an offensive line is good typically? I mean, how good is your running game? You know, how how you know how good your running back is? Well, how good is your blocking? Because if he can't get to the second level, I don't care how good he is. I don't care how good Javion Henderson is. If you get stuff in the back foot every single play, he's useless to you. Um but I don't think it I think that's a that's a very drastic look at it. I don't it's not that bad. They just the last 2021 and 2022 weren't good because they didn't get the tackles they needed. I think the interior offensive line recruiting is fine. I mean, you just got Donovan Jackson a year ago. And I, I mean, the way they've recruited, where they go five-star tackle, five-star interior, five-star tackle, then 2023, if you'd have done your job in 2022, 2023, you'd probably go, okay, who's the top interior offensive lineman? Is he coming to Ohio State or not? I think overall they're fine. It's just because they – Greg Shadrawa dropped the ball so badly on some players that he did not need to drop the ball. There is a glaring hole in 2023 where we're talking about a super team. But if they do what they're supposed to do in 2023 recruiting, and to an extent some a little bit in 2022 they did their job outside of the tackle – 
2024, I don't think the hole is as big of, okay, who's going to play tackle? It's just really for one year, we're having this issue right now. And so the, the, the issue isn't that they don't get guys. The issue is they get too many guys who are developmental and not enough guys where you are going, okay, in year two, they should be ready to go. And that's the one thing that needs to be fixed. And Justin Fry, getting a guy like Luke Montgomery to start off, you, you're starting to fix it. It doesn't completely fix the problem, but it shows that you can fix the problem. So let's give him a couple more months here to get some of these other guys on board. Yeah, I think I agree with you. I like the question anyway, because I think it's something it was sort of a little blind spot in the way that we've talked yeah. about this roster and the, the roster dynamics and how these things can play off of each other. I think if you if you're just talking about offensive line broadly, I think the answer is no. If you start talking about offensive tackle, though, that's where the quarterback relationship maybe comes in more. And I think you're right. I think that would still be it's a little too drastic. And you are talking about a small window of problem we really are only because 2022 tackle looks really good still yeah and 2024 with montgomery and whoever else comes in in this class maybe somebody else that develops like you still the more developmental guys even you look at 2024 as being realistic for them it's just this 2023 window that looks a little bit off so i don't think that the repercussions are huge i don't think the ripple effects certainly are going to reach the class because also whatever has been going on in the Ohio state offensive line in the last couple of years. And actually it has been fairly good the last couple of years. Um, it's been better than fairly good. It's been really good. Munford and Nicholas P. Frere and, and Josh Myers and white Davis. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, 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 and the quarterbacks are producing clearly like the quarterbacks are producing like crazy in this room for the last three years. So uh, it has not been a problem so far. Uh, and I think as long as they fix that window, after 2023, I don't think it will be a problem. I think you're right. But I think it's still a good question. And we've got more of them coming after the break here on Buckeye Talk. All right, we're going to go a little bit rapid fire with this. We've got several questions here. Again, 614-350-3315 if you are not a tech subscriber. Pretty soon, early March, spring practice is going to start. Spring game is April 16th. If you have not subscribed before and you want to jump in and test it out, that's probably a great window because we're going to actually start getting access to the team again and seeing some things at practice, hopefully, and having some intel to send you guys directly from there. So again, 614-350-3315. If you want to just kind of bookmark that and set yourself a reminder, come back to it in a month and, and see if it's something you want to jump in on. From the 817, this is actually Connor in Fort Worth, Texas. Hey, guys, when looking back at other classes from previous years, around this same time, does it feel like Ohio State's 23 class is behind? And if so, should this be at all concerning for Buckeye fans? I think what Connor's talking about is how just how much the 2021 and 2022 classes Ohio State had really jumped out in front and had like a huge pile of commitments early. Stephen, does this feel like a different time frame for you and does that mean anything it does um i'm not going to use the word behind though because behind was would suggest that they didn't plan for this to be to only have five guys in february and yet here they are because they missed on some guys they are this is purposeful um we have to remember in 2021 that was day's first full class um and a lot of that, ha- a lot of those commits came when everybody was sitting in the house on Zoom calls. And so you're just kind of watching film and talking through a computer. They weren't able to do some of the normal recruiting stuff like going out there and going to the, the schools, going to basketball games, going to football games, getting kids on campus. And so it just kind of moved a little differently. Ohio State just kind of mastered that better than anybody else at that time. And it, it was kind of the same thing in 2022, but it was a lot of but those guys did get to take visits in that in last June. The difference with that one was like they had reached the point with so many recruits that it was like the moment they get on campus, they know they're going to get a floodgate of commitments. And that's exactly what happened. They're taking their time at a lot of different spots right now. Um, Obviously we've talked already about quarterback and how patient they're being there. I think there are some guys in the wide receiver situation where you thought they would have pulled the trigger somewhere and they haven't yet. And so Brian Hartline has maybe casted his net a little wider then normally at this point, obviously they've got new 
a new offensive line coach. So that's going to take a while. They've obviously got, you know, a brand new defensive coaching staff outside of Larry Johnson. So that's going to take some time. Plus like Larry Johnson is very picky with what defensive lineman he wants. So he gets to work on his own timetable a little bit. As we saw, like we can be worried about it up until signing day when he's got four guys who are top 150 recruits. And then on top of that, it's very clear and well known who the top running back target is in this class. And so it is, it is more, there's coach speak a little bit of when day likes to go, man, we didn't get to do this stuff for a while. Now we get to do it. So we're going to take the time, but that's actually what they're doing with this group. And so I don't think there's going to be, you know, 10 plus commitments heading into June when they get all those dates of like official visits and whatnot. But I do think once we get closer to the season, we'll see Ohio state be where it normally is where they're entering fall with a near full class because they did most of their work in the spring and summer, but they do want to get kids on campus in March. They do want kids to get on campus, you know, in April for the spring game and then get on campus in June. So it's, it's, it's purposeful. This, this, there's no reason to sound the alarm because Ohio state only has five guys right now. Here's another one from the South. This is Shelby in Fort Myers. I was just in Florida. Doug is down there right now, I believe. So that's been kind of the the February home for Buckeye Talk, the home away from home. Uh, I did not go to Disney World, though, which is the only place that Doug goes. Who's the next big-time recruit Ohio State might be able to pull out of the South? Thinking like a Von Bell, someone we would say is a huge target. Anybody like that on the horizon for this 2023 class that Ohio State wants to get out of that when I say South, I think I don't even know if you would include Texas there. I think you're probably talking about pure SEC country. Yep. Richard Young, that would be the ultimate I mean, version of Von Bell. He is number 18 player, number one running back, five star recruit. And as I've said it multiple times, I've written it. They are telling him, you see what Travion Henderson just did? Let's come do that, except we're not going to kill you in year one because you can sit behind Travion for a year before taking over the job as a sophomore. Um, he now that Luke Montgomery is in. Richard Young is now priority number one. And he, the uh, Tony offer has been building that relationship for three years. He camped, he didn't camp. He came up here for a visit last, last uh, June and got a one-on-one workout in with Tony offer. But then he also attended a game. I, I think it was the Penn state game. If I'm remembering correctly. Uh, yeah. He is now the top priority head honcho number one guy on Ohio state's recruiting board right now. And so uh, I like their chances of pulling that guy off. I think the combination of like, what J.K. Dobbins was, Zeke, and then Travion Henderson, the way his career started off here, it obviously helps all that. Plus, Tony Offert's one of the better recruiters on the staff. He might be like the third best recruiter behind Larry and Brian Hartline right now. So I like their chances. But, yeah, if you're going to bring up the name Von Bell and Ohio State having some real success in the South, it starts with him because, you know, he's out of Florida. From the 205, uh, by the way, for people who maybe didn't follow everything yesterday, Luke Montgomery name-dropped lebron james in the (laughs) course of his he had a he had a fun lebron james story and we had a question that was something along the lines of like hey how does he really know lebron james and from the 205 we get a different version of that a fun question how important has lebron been in recruiting over the years is this the the first time that a recruit has brought up like having this supposed uh and i'm not saying they're best buddies i don't know if he has lebron on on speed dial but uh Clearly, there had been a conversation. He, we're taking him at his word that they had had a conversation. And it, it's funny that he would maybe tell LeBron something like that, you know, so far in advance of it being the truth that he was going to commit to Ohio State. There's probably like four people on the planet who have LeBron James's who have direct access to LeBron James. and They all live in the same house as him. Uh, yes, he really does know LeBron James, though. And the reason LeBron is not recruiting for Ohio State. This is. He's known LeBron since he was like eight, nine years old because him and Bronny played AAU basketball in middle school growing up together. So they, they genuinely do have a relationship together. That isn't it's, it's no different than like, you know, you knowing you know, some of your parents, friends where they do have a relationship to the point they like he can talk to LeBron, not whenever he wants, but they you know can get into contact with each other fairly easily. And the, so it's not the it's just, it's just he LeBron James. So it's a big deal because it's a famous person, but it's no different than like, you know, another adult asking your kid who knows your kid very, very well. Hey, where are you thinking about going to school? The conversation I'll, I'll tell the story here since I've already told the te- texters. LeBron was thinking about coming to the Oregon game because it's a big game and he's LeBron James and this is Ohio state football. So, I mean, he's been to Ohio state football games before he was at the 2016 um, uh, Ohio state Michigan game, along with the entire uh, Cleveland Cavaliers team. So this is not crazy for him to come to Ohio state football games. Um, And 
he they like reached out to each other because like LeBron wanted to know if Luke was going to be there so he could see a kid he's known since he was pretty young. Um, and then he just kind of asked in passing, hey, man, are you thinking about going to Ohio State? And as I mentioned at the beginning of the pod, it was kind of a known thing that he was probably going to come here. And so he said, you know, um, to keep to be honest with you, yeah, I'm probably going to commit to Ohio State. I'm just going to give it some time here and make sure it's the right decision. But, yeah, that's probably what's going to happen. So it's not like the biggest like heart like lebron james didn't know before the rest of the world that luke montgomery was coming it's just interesting because he's lebron james and that's why i told detectors but yeah yes excuse me they actually do know each other quite well and lebron james wasn't leaning on him to come to ohio state yes yes like (laughs) there's not a um a nike nil deal waiting out out there for luke montgomery because lebron james recruited him that's not how that worked but there is also a a lebron james ohio state relationship too like there's definitely a connection there that so i i don't know how much it affects recruiting i think it doesn't hurt recruiting i mean it it can there are ways where it can probably be um it grabs somebody's attention there's people like lebron james athletes of of this generation love lebron james a lot of them and they they hear that name, they see that connection. I think he can probably benefit Ohio State. I just don't think it's something that is a you know, LeBron James has a lot going on. Uh, I don't think he's bit. out there uh, actively recruiting on a daily basis for Ohio State football. He does some stuff though. Like obviously the the Ohio State basketball team is sponsored by LeBron. He's got a locker room in there. Um, I think he used to have a locker room in the football. Uh, locker room too but i'm not sure if that that still exists or not but yeah i mean he's like donated stuff there so they use him but no he's not actually uh, um, foot on the ground recruiting kids that's if he's got time to do that man that guy never sleeps could lebron james come back after he retires from basketball and be a tight end at ohio state he's got he's got eligibility i mean J.R. Smith's playing golf right now. That's what now. I'm saying. That's what so, I'm saying. Like, I'm, I mean, sure. He could, I probably could do it. Is a four, is a 40 year old going to want to come play football? Probably not, but he could do it. I think the, the a better question is, is a um, billionaire going to want to come back and play football? That's fair. And get, get beat up uh, and have to go to class. I think he'll probably uh, just uh, move on to other endeavors at that point in his life. From the 937, this is from our buddy Bryce. My recruiting question has to do with Sonny Styles and Quinn Ewers in a way. Uh, My question is on the utility of reclassifying to a different class last year. I believe sort of like the beginnings of the transfer portal that can be useful or can be used as a final resort slash class booster. If you have a kid like Sonny who reclassified after recruiting miss, etc. I understand how it has to be certain circumstances, such as him being able to graduate early. But I believe with NIL as motivation and coaches understanding it can speed up development timelines or fill holes, we may see more and more reclassifications. I guess that's a long-winded way of just asking, are we going to see more reclassifications as this goes forward? It's it's interesting because those are two completely different scenarios when you're talking about yours mm. and styles. And I think what's tricky about that too is when you assume, um, when it says coaches understanding can speed up development timelines, well, part of a development timeline is age and like physical readiness. So just like when, when Quinn Ewers came here and was supposed to be a senior in high school, bringing him to campus doesn't really speed up his timeline. I never Mm -hmm. thought that sped up his timeline that much. Like it still only put him in position to maybe compete for the job as a, as a, what would then be a red shirt freshman, but it was still going to be, 2022 competing for a job in the spring, but still not necessarily being the number one guy, especially if CJ Stroud had had success and was coming back, which is what happened. And so I don't think that really sped up his timeline. I don't know how much it speeds up Sonny Styles' timeline either. Um, I, I think it, it all depends on the age and the physical readiness of that player. His it Sonny Styles is, is more of a case where it probably does get that player on the field faster and maybe it, it kickstart that development or, or put that, put that development into overdrive, but it, the circumstances of those two guys was very different. I don't, I, it's going to still be a case to case basis. It just seems like it wasn't necessarily a thing that was happening at Ohio state a lot, but it was happening. It was happening around the country. You would see it here and there. I don't know. What is your take on that? Do you think it's going to be something that is more frequent going forward? 
First of all, I'm glad you brought up age because that does play an important factor in this. Sonny Styles will not turn 18 until like November next year. So, you know, age kind of matters. That's why it was it was an interesting thing. That's what makes it more of an interesting thing for him to do because he's genuine. Like Quinn Ewers was an adult. He's 19 right now. And he was, I think he was turning 19 very soon once he got on campus. Sonny Styles is, uh, he's genuinely, he's young for his age. For his, he was young for his grade anyway when he was 20, 23, let alone now. Um, so that that matters a little bit. They're not the same. And I think we can't talk about them in the same way at all. Quinn Ewers showed up here early because now college players can make money. If NIL never existed, Quinn Ewers would not have showed up here last August because there would have been no reason for him to do that. Sonny's NIL has nothing to do with why Sonny Styles is coming here early. He is coming here early because he's been playing up his entire life. So he's used to it. And all the people he played up, played up with are now in college and he's ready to be done with high school sports. So he is, he reclassified for the reason that we've seen plenty of people over multiple sports, you know, reclassified a different, I mean, JT Daniels did it. Uh, Amani Bates, who's like at Memphis right now did it. And so he's, you know, he's supposed to be a 2022 kid. So the, the concept of reclassification isn't new. It's just now people want to throw this extra reason on it because of NIL and guys can make money, but everybody's not going to be in a position to where like, I'm going to leave now because somebody's offering me a million dollars to do it. Um, I think most schools would rather you not do it because of the physical development that you might not be ready for, especially depending on what position you play. Like Sonny Styles isn't going to help Ohio State this year. But no, the, the thing that it helps is now he can help them in 2023. That's the big thing instead of him being a true freshman and us having that conversation about him 12 months from now. So it helps there. But it's I don't think we're going to see more reclassifications. I don't think we're going to see less. Now, we might see it with some quarterback situations because that's just a whole different ball game in general. But I think like what Sonny Styles, we're going to see it every so often with players that whether it's Ohio State or whether it's Texas or Bama or anywhere else. But it's not going to be this uptick where every year there's going to be like 17 to 20 guys who are reclassifying. It's going to be no different than what we've seen in the past where it's a few five stars who are just kind of done being high school kids. The other reason why I don't think it's going to be a um, just an avalanche of this is guys can already early enroll first of the year. So really, when you reclassify, it's it's only a difference of like four months, right? Like you're you're coming in in mm-hmm. August instead of January. That that's not a massive time difference. So it, it really has to make sense in a lot of ways for it makes sense for just about anybody to enroll early at this point, as long as your school allows it, as long as you can graduate early, which most guys I think are usually in position to be able to do that by the um, start of that, that or end of that first semester senior year. But to come that whole year early, there really has to be a point to it also partially because there has to be scholarship room for you to to come in early and that that's gonna that is another factor in all of that good question though from the 614 what's the most important position group for next year's class that isn't on the offensive line seems like a case could be made for a few spots even ones like wide receiver and quarterback that are recruited so well turnover is especially high in those rooms for me it's safety on defense and running back on offense i think there's no question that it's safety on defense right yeah it's safety um, even if you're getting Sonny Styles a year earlier, it's still safety. You know, guys like Caleb Downs, where they're they're plugging away there. Um, obviously they lost out on Elliott Washington, Alabama, but uh, yeah, it's it's safety without. It's not even it's safety, not defensive back. It's they're fine at defensive back. As I mean, AJ Harris is obviously at the top of their list, and Christian Gray's up there too. But like, it's safety. They they I don't they want those top 100 top 50 corners they need those top 100 top 50 safety so it's undoubtedly there especially because of you know this defensive scheme change where you're going to have three of them on the field you need to hit and you need to hit hard at safety so it starts there offensively um eh, it might be a tie between running back and wide receiver because you got to replace Travion um Cause that's going to, I mean, he's going to be a junior next year and he's going to be out the door and you got to know who's getting the rock for you next. Um, and so I think Richard young is a big deal while with wide receiver, like, I don't know if Heartline has to go get Brandon Ennis, Carnell Tate. 
I don't know if he needs to go get three of the top four receivers in the country. Like, I don't know if that necessarily 100% has to happen. I think he needs a five-star wide receiver, obviously. And uh, I think Carnell Tate has a better chance of coming here than Brandon Ennis does right right now. But, uh, okay, I'm just going to pick one. Running back on offense and then safety on defense. No, running back on offense, you would still potentially have Evan Pryor as a fourth-year guy at that point. You would have Dallin Hayden as a, another guy who would be a veteran at that point and, and an experienced guy. So it's not like I think they're barren for 2024 if they don't hit somebody in this 2023 class. Because like if, if for some reason they don't get Richard Young, I don't think that leaves them uh, in a terrible spot for 2023, but it, or 2024, I should say. It just maybe means you don't get a guy who could come in and do what Trevon Henderson did and and surpass all of the veterans you have in that room right away. And I I, I I understand what you're saying, and I agree with it to an extent. Except, I think if Evan Pryor is your second best running back, that's an awesome world to live in. I'm not sure. Like we might be if when Travion Henderson leaves, I'm not sure we're not going to be having a conversation heading into uh, spring practice 2024 of like. Um, who's Ohio State starting running back and is his ceiling high enough to win this team in national championship? I don't I I could see us being in the same mindset we were in in 2020 when JK left. That's why I would say it's higher because I mean we saw once Trey Sermon got rolling the way he was, all of a sudden Ohio State could win a national championship. When Travion Henderson exploded, it was like, okay, this team's got a national championship running back. Because we're talking about Ohio State where all of their national championships have been on the backs of these elite level running backs. If you're not 100% sure that Evan Pryor is going to be that, or Dallin Hayden is going to be that, and you're 100% sure Richard Young is going to be that, then you have to land that kid. I think there is a great podcast where we would really yell at each other a lot, me, you, and Doug, about running back that we probably need to do between now and this sometime this summer, whatever, um, about just how important running back is. Because I mm-hmm. would kind of like to go back and break it down and really look at the numbers because I, there's ways where I think exactly everything you just said is true. And if Trey Sermon hadn't done what he did, then it, it I mean, it, it might have rescued Ohio State season a little bit. You know, they might not be able to beat Northwestern without him. Um, but when your offense is based around the passing game the way that it is, and I know they still run the ball more. But when the explosive passing attack is so much a focus of how you recruit and how you build your team, what kind of how important is getting an awesome running back? And was Trey Sermon an awesome running back or did the offensive? We've got a number of ways you could go. with that. I I really think that's an interesting discussion, but I think it, it needs to be something that we like examine not something we just kind of throw out thoughts because i'm right now i'm just kind of throwing out thoughts and well, they're not that useful yeah i'll just throw out this and then we can move on because you're right this doesn't serve its own pod ohio state's losses this year were in games where they couldn't run the ball so it didn't matter that cj had 400 passing yards so yeah that's that's its own pod let's continue to but it, yes but that was with trevion henderson right but when they get that's what I'm saying, when your running back is not running at a high level, that's all right. But let's is that move the running on. back or is that other factors? Exactly. Fair. So yeah, let's, let's move, move on. We'll, we'll put a pin in that. If Doug is listening <laughs> to this, which I'm sure he's not, um, he can add this to the list of things we need to talk about. And from the 440 to wrap things up, what is your early read on this class? Does it feel like one that can be a top three class that contends for a number one, number one overall in the recruiting rankings, like the 2021 class, or a class that goes for depth and a buffer between big classes, like the 2019 class. And, and the 2019 class, by the way, was I think like number 14 nationally. That was the like the transition class yeah. between Meyer and Day. And there was a lot of weird stuff going on, as you all, I'm sure, remember from who lived through that, uh, the Ohio State 2018-2019 experience. I would say I would expect not to be down in the 2019 range, but doesn't this seem like a class that should end up in that usual Ohio State top five range? And we did get a lot of questions asking whether this could be a number one type class, because I think it's something Luke Montgomery even brought up mm-hmm. at his signing. Yeah, it better not be in the 2019 commitment, range. Commitment, I- commitment, not his signing. He hasn't signed. Yeah. Commitment. 
Yeah. If, it, if this class is in the 2019 range, then we got a whole lot of other questions to ask Ryan Day about what's going on in that program. It's going to be a top five class. Um, I think the difference is, and it, I think it's a good thing. Um, well, I don't know if it's a good thing. I just think it's a different approach. And I think it's interesting because the last two years, because they've gotten out to such these hot starts and it's been so loud, I think we would reach a point in April where we're going, is this going to be the greatest recruiting class ever? Are they going to surpass Florida in 2010 and Georgia and Miami and all these classes? And, be, and it's like, then when it doesn't happen, we get to signing day and it's like, eh, maybe this class isn't as good as we thought it was going to be. Like that's, that's what the 2022 class was. It was a top five recruiting class and really one of the higher rated classes ever. But because it didn't necessarily reach the entire standard that we had put it at back when they got Quinn and Caleb Burton within a span of like five days, along with the fact that they did miss at some very important positions like safety and offensive tackle. We viewed it differently once it was once all the ink had finally dry, dried. So I do think that right now we're not talking about this class like, hey, is it going to you know contend with, you know, what Bama and Georgia just did in 2022 and what uh, um, Florida did in 2010 and it's going to be the highest rated recruiting class of all time because they're taking their time with it. But I still do think that the final product might be is going to be a top five recruiting class. It just might take a little bit longer to get there. And what's, I, what's more important to me than like the ranking at this point, because I'm not worried about Ohio State having a top five recruiting class. I'm worried about when we get to December next year, mid-December, and it's signing day and we're doing a pod, can I look at every position, everything that's on Ohio State's checklist for the cycle, and did they check everything off? Whether it's a big, uh, a, a quality and quantity of offensive linemen, whether it's the safety, whether it's getting Richard Young with some five-star receivers, whoever the quarterback is, did they do all of that? That matters more to me than a ranking because you know where Ohio State's going to be most of the time. Yeah, I think that's an important thing to remind. When we were kind of critiquing the class on signing day, the first day of the early period, it had nothing to do with them being ranked number five against number one because, honestly, those things make almost no I don't care about those things. You're in that range. You're in that, that upper echelon range, top five, six, whatever, whether you're number one or not. I know fans love being number one, and I understand why. And maybe that's an important thing for Ohio State to achieve once, just to kind of check that box. Because it's like one of those things they haven't done, but it's also very subjective, and, and I don't know that it matters. Um, but it did matter that they didn't get any of the safeties they needed to get. It didn't get any of the offensive linemen that they needed to get or like the up again, the upper tier ones. And that's how I would encourage people to look at this 2023 class as it comes together. If Ohio State ends up being number one, I think that's a secondary uh, benefit. It's like a little fringe benefit that gets thrown on the end. It's like, you know, um, whatever, you know, it's, it's the, it's the, the nice parking spot that gets thrown on to your promotion. Mm -hmm. But what, what's important is, did you get players at the positions you absolutely had to get players at? In this cycle, they did not do that in 2022. And there's a lot of teams that were probably not ranked in the top five that thought they might have done a better job of getting the crucial guys that they needed at some positions. Not that they would wouldn't trade places with Ohio State in a heartbeat, but I think you all know what I'm saying that there is a checklist, and Ohio State didn't fill its checklist for 2022. And I think that's that I think should be the number one goal for 2023 and i don't think that's lowering the standard i think that's what the standard already is because you can't control the ranking you can't you shouldn't be recruiting off of the rankings you should be recruiting off of your own evaluations if you're ohio state you can't control how other people evaluate your talent to some extent you can control whether or not you correctly assess your needs and then go fill those needs and i think they had correctly assessed the needs for 2022 they just didn't fill them so i think that is much more crucial for 2023 than what the final ranking is. Though, again, I'm not dismissing the importance of maybe for almost cosmetic reasons, morale reasons, whatever, having that number one class at some point. I think that's, I think that is something that Ohio State, it's a banner they would like to wave, as, even though they might dismiss that in public. I think if you asked Ryan Day, he would say, well, that doesn't really matter. Once they did it, I think you'd hear about it from Ohio State. You definitely got, I mean, it's a cool Twitter graphic to be able to say you're number one in anything. Yeah, but they are not going to they're not going to sweep that under the rug when it happens. If and when it, it finally happens, Ohio State football at the, yeah. the, 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 the Twitter, the verified Twitter account is going to let you know. Rankings only matter when you're number one. Everybody's rankings are wrong when you're not number one. 
that's the one thing that everybody should take from recruiting, whether you're talking about from a player being ranked and how he responds to it or a yeah. team's a team ranking. All rankings and everybody who participates in rankings are stupid. But if I'm number one, I guarantee you I'm going to post about it. Yeah, players definitely feel that way. There's never been a player that's been like ranked number 372 and been like, oh, that sounds about right. Yeah, I could. Yeah. I'm pretty happy with that. Um, it, it, it's, you know, maybe maybe that's the other half of this argument. Maybe you don't want Ohio State to be the number one class because it keeps pushing them. I don't know. Uh, it certainly isn't something that is as someone who evaluates a program. I think that Ohio State isn't getting something done if it isn't the number one class, because it's just I think it's something that's out of their control to some extent and shouldn't be what they're aiming for. They should be aiming to get great players. And if it turns out the number one, that's fine. That's going to wrap up this episode of BFF. Come back next week. Like I said, Doug and I uh, having sort of a, a fun little exercise on Monday talking about whether an, Ohio, an all Ohio State team can win the get to the Super Bowl, although the Super Bowl is over now, but it's kind of a fun offseason topic and it's going to change based on some players who are coming into the NFL from Ohio State. And then on Tuesday, I think, Steven and I might be coming back with another recruiting hit. So if we didn't use your question today, it may show up on the Tuesday pod. Come back for that. For Steven Means, I'm Nathan Baird. That was Buckeye Talk. Buckeye Talk.